T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Report. The CV report. Give us one word to describe what you're going through right now. Sucky. <laughs> Sucky. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's just a Nissan Frontier, but in my mind, this thing's an M1 Abrams tank. That's the dumbest thing I've heard all day. Like, if we're going to start getting angry now, it's it's a little late. Is live in D.C. with the update on all of this. Good morning. Maybe. I guess not. The CV Report. Welcome to the CV Report. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs, and I'm excited to have a repeat guest on the podcast today. The last time we spoke to Dan Schilling, well, we were talking about his forthcoming book, Alone at Dawn. Now we're having him back because since we spoke about the book, there's been some updates, and it's going to take him from the Pentagon to Hollywood. The book documents the incredible story of Medal of Honor recipient Tech Sergeant John Chapman. Now, Dan was the perfect guy to write this book because in addition to being one of the rarest breeds of the Air Force, an MOS known as Combat Controller, he has 20 years' experience of combat and clandestine missions. He served on secret missions with Delta Force, and he played a critical role in Operation Gothic Serpent, which later inspired the movie we've all heard of, Black Hawk Down, and he later founded and served as the first commander of two spec op squadrons whose name and purpose still remains classified. Before we go across town and meet Dan in person, here's a really quick clip from the podcast Vet Story and the episode titled The World's Deadliest Spec Ops Force. John Chapman charged ahead of all the SEALs and was the first guy into this bunker, which was the most immediate threat. He killed these guys at point-blank range. When I say point-blank, I mean 10 feet. Ultimately, he had 16 gunshot and penetrating wounds in his body. I'm, I can't say what he thought, but I can say what he decided. He fought against these guys. Two dozen hardened Chechen and Uzbek fighters. Single-handedly held them off. Which is what the SEALs all said. We would all be dead had it not been for John. I want to say hi to Mr. Dan Schilling. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Great to have you back, man, because I know when we first talked about your book, it was just so important to me to get the story right because it was such a compelling story. And the book I'm talking about is Alone at Dawn. And if I can, Dan, just write in front of you. Can I read from your book to you? Please. <laughs> It'll be the first time I've ever read an author's words to an author. Cool. But uh, yeah, Alone at Dawn, a book about a true American hero. It documents Medal of Honor recipient John Chapman, who's an Air Force combat controller, which I learned from you is one of the deadliest, most lethal rates in the military. Yep. But uh, the book goes on to describe his 
incredible sacrifice. In the pre-dawn hours of March 4th, 2002, just below the 10,000-foot peak of a mountain in eastern Afghanistan, a fierce battle raged, outnumbered by Al-Qaeda fighters. Air Force Combat Controller John Chapman and a handful of Navy SEALs struggled to take the summit in a desperate bid to find a lost teammate. Chapman led the charge, was gravely wounded in the initial assault, and believing he was dead, the SEAL team leader ordered a retreat. Bravely, Chapman regained consciousness, finding himself alone with the enemy who was closing in on all three sides. Thus began the most difficult and exceptional fight for his life. Sadly, Tech Sergeant John Chapman died on that mountain, and we honored him with the Medal of Honor, and that is kind of the framework for this book, Alone at Dawn. And we've got some updates about the book, but first, Dan, share with me, man, some of your favorite bullet points from the book. Well, you know, what's picking up where you left off is John's heroism, and, you know, the selflessness with which he acted that day. is almost legendary. It's the first Medal of Honor in nearly half a century, but what really sets it apart from many other Medals of Honor, and this is not to rack and stack anybody, is the fact that he earned this Medal of Honor charging up this mountain in ten th- above 10,000 feet, knee-deep snow, point-blank into enemy fire, and eliminated these guys who were the most immediate threat, thus saving the lives of his SEAL teammates. That qualified him for Medal of Honor on its own. He got shot and was mortally wounded. And then the SEALs, as you mentioned, uh, retreated under withering fire. This is a tactical decision that happened, and John got left behind. This is where the twist comes, because John Chapman recovers. We'll never know why, why it took him 15, 20 minutes to collect himself, but he did found himself alone. At this point, he's mortally wounded. He's dying. He's going to bleed out and die. He fights for 40 plus minutes against two dozen fighters, holding them at bay, including hand-to-hand combat because he had wounds on his hands, neck, face, and scalp that were anti-mortem from hand-to-hand fighting. We know this from the forensic pathology. And then at dawn, now the sun has come up, he's lost his only advantage, which was night vision. The enemy is coming but so is an American quick reaction force in another MH-47 huge lumbering giant of a helicopter laboring up the mountain. John Chapman in this bunker now has been wounded probably up to 10 times. Ultimately, he got shot nine times and received 16 penetrating shrapnel wounds. The damage to his body was unbelievable. It's unimaginable, at least to me, for a guy who's been in gunfights. But he makes this decision to climb out of this bunker to protect the helicopter because it would have been the third helicopter to be shot down. In so doing, he saves the lives of another 18 men he never knew and sacrificed himself on this altar of brotherhood and got shot through the heart and died. Mm. An amazing story. And one of the other things I remember from the last time we spoke about the book Alone at Dawn was uh, these fighters that he was up against. You know, these weren't part-time Islamic jihadists running around, no, uh, you know. They weren't local villagers. Yeah. These were, these were Chechen and Uzbek hardened fighters from years of jihad who traveled through Pakistan to Afghanistan to get it on with the U.S. They wanted to fight. And that's, what's, that's what really set the framework for this Operation Anaconda, which was the backdrop for what happened to John. But, uh, you know, to build on 
what John was, in addition to being one of the best trained fighters in the U.S. military in special ops and therefore the world, he was a combat controller in the Air Force. And that's the parallel narrative of this book, Combat Controllers. They're the deadliest individuals to walk a battlefield. And if you're an American, you've probably never heard of them. That's the other thing I love, and I'm glad you walked me into that. Um, combat controller. Uh, you know, I was just on the subway not 30 minutes ago, sat next to a guy on his way to the Pentagon, Air Force uniform, um, enlisted guy, I want to say maybe tech sergeant, asked him if he knew what a combat controller was. <laughs> and he he actually wasn't quite sure. He's like, I think I do. I'm not, uh, no, well, I'm not really quite sure. That is a standard answer. Or, or I have... Or I think they're air traffic controllers. That's the other answer. And I believe that's what he was envisioning in his mind. And I didn't press him on it, nor did I need to. No, but, that's, uh, a, that's a great data point because it, it, it speaks to the reason why, for me, why I wrote the book. I maintain that combat controllers are the deadliest individuals to walk a battlefield in the history of human warfare. And the reason that I say that and can make that case, and to me, it's a, it's a statement. It's not conjecture. In a gunfight, you and I are in a gunfight, and say you're a Green Beret, and you're going to kill somebody, you're going to reach out two-dimensionally, left, right, near, far, to make a kinetic connection between you and them via a bullet, and you're going to kill that individual. Right. Because they're threatening you. And you can kill one guy at a time. And it's and usually line of sight, too. I, it's I, 100% I line of sight. You have to have you within range, and, and I have you to have to, to hold you. still, which never happens. It's hard to kill people in the gunfight. What's different about a combat controller is, so you're thinking in two dimensions, and everyone in a battlefield, they think they're thinking in two dimensions, but they're not. They're thinking point to point, from me to you. Combat controllers think in four dimensions. Left, right, near, far, high, low, and time. They live in a battle space in their mind that is different than everyone on the battlefield. But what makes them the deadliest in the history of warfare is this. They can wield that air power in a precision manner the deadliest power capable uh, capability on a battlefield today is to deliver air power with precision, better and more effectively, and in more hazardous conditions than anyone else. Because they're also they are in fact trained Air Force air traffic controllers. They go through air traffic control school. Mm. Their pipeline, mm. their training regimen is in special ops, the longest and most expensive and intellectually demanding training pipeline in the world and it is just as physically demanding as becoming a seal and people don't know about these guys man combat controllers so when they're on the ground with a team of spec ops guys or you know a yep. ranger battalion or something when they're on the ground they have communication equipment that can summon from what like an e2c hawkeye or something they in the air or they can communicate in the air and they are the world's most effective air to ground communicator and director they direct this air power. So being a combat controller means this. Not only are you out, you know, going without sleep and eating crappy food and fighting in this, literally fighting in the same gunfight. I've been one of those guys, but I'm with Delta Force and we are fighting in a gunfight. You are carrying the heaviest rucksack. And as an individual, probably because you're in the Air Force and getting promoted in the Air Force sucks, the lowest ranking individual there. But you have the disproportionate burden to wield this air power, you have to know all the aircraft call signs, the air tasking order that's going on, plus the two dozen types of American and allied aircraft, their limitations and capabilities, and several hundred types of ordnance. And you have to put that power onto the battlefield. And if you screw it up, not only will your team die, 
you're going to be hung alone as an individual because you are the man who screwed up. If we all win and you save everyone's life, it's a win for everybody. And this is why combat control is listed in the shadows. If you're out with Delta Force and they kill Uday and Hussein, uh, Kisei Hussein, Saddam Hussein's sons, yeah, yeah. who deserve to die horrible deaths, it wasn't Delta Force that killed them. It was a man named Aaron, who was the lowest ranking guy, was an Air Force combat controller, and he called in the airstrike that killed them. But nobody knows that. Wow. And if I can, not to segue from the book entirely, yeah, but just to show up to the book, I am on a mission to sell <laughs> books to every American. But you have some unique insight into this. Uh, can you share with me a little bit about what you can say about what you did with respect to what we know as the Black Hawk Down oh, yeah. mission? So Black Hawk Down, everybody knows the movie. Everybody knows, hopefully, the book. And uh, both of them were great products. Um, one's very accurate. It's a book. One is a Hollywood dramatization of the movie. Uh, I was a combat controller. Uh, I was originally assigned to Delta Force at the time, and then uh, by the time we, because we were planning this, I was one of the original planners to go over there and hunt down Mohammed Farah Adid, who is the leader of the Habergator clan and the Somali National Alliance, a thorn in the side of the UN. And we went over there as Americans to help stabilize a country. It was a great American humanitarian effort, but it required a dirty, difficult job. Hunt down these militiamen, get the leader who'd been slaughtering civilians and UN people alike, and capture him. And I was a combat controller. And again, everybody knows Delta Force and Rangers and Task Force 160, the greatest helicopter pilots in the world, bar none, were in Somalia hunting these guys down. And yet nobody knows there were four combat controllers doing critical jobs on the ground during that day. The guy who kept everyone alive when they were beleaguered and we had to go back out and rescue the Delta Force guys and Rangers was an Air Force combat controller named Jeff Bray, a very dear friend of mine. He since has passed away. But he kept the enemy at bay using the helicopters in a very effective manner as fire support. But it was his direction of that firepower that allowed them to do airstrikes within 10 feet of their position. As close as you and I are sitting across from each other, that's how close he was calling airstrikes. That's the power of a combat controller. And that's what I did during that time. Trying to visualize or experience what you're talking about. When I was coming here, as I t told you, you know, uh, as the sweat drips off my brow here on a hot July day, uh, I, I, got, <laughs> I got off the subway and walked about half a block the wrong way. And I was trying to get my bearings. I couldn't see the road signs. I was beneath or I was next to all these huge construction sites and these high rises. And rather than just looking left, right, side to side, I suddenly started to just look up to try to see if I could find the name of the hotel on the side of a building above me 10, 15 stories. And for a second, I felt like, huh. This is just a really raw example of that kind of sense that no, very, a combat controller must true. have to have because you can't just rely on what you're seeing, what you're smelling, what you're touching, and what's in your three-dimensional world, but looking up and knowing that some, there's a layer above you that can tell more of the story. And uh, it's funny because in, in the screenplay of the movie, there's this brilliant scene that Michael Gunn, the, the screenwriter, wrote about how... He, to explain how different it is for these guys, he does this scene where John's talking to his daughter, and I won't tell you too much about the movie, but about, and he's explaining to her how the world looks, and it's this beautiful conceptualization that's realized in a scene about we don't think in two dimensions, we think in four dimensions, and it's a, it's a brilliant way to relate that 
to the average viewer, mm -hmm. and that's what it's part of what we're doing. I mean, I'm on a, I'm on a personal mission. My mission is to change the American public's view of the entire United States Air Force with a book. That's my mission. Well, the book is Alone at Dawn, we've been talking about, and we are in D.C., of course, because you've got some big business, which you just alluded to, and not to bury the lead here, but share with me why we're together today, because I did hear the word movie. Um, I have heard the word Hollywood since I've been here, and uh, people are coming to you, and, and, and you're getting ready to go off on a big journey now, taking this book to the next level. Uh, share with me how that all went down and, and what we're doing here. And so actually the the movie producer, the one of the studio heads, uh, an executive from the studio making the movie and the screenwriter all came here to support the book. We're going to the Pentagon. I'm speaking at the Pentagon to senior Air Force leaders today. And then I've got a book signing this evening at Politics and Prose. If you're in the D.C. area, come join me at 7 p.m. at the Wharf location of Politics and Prose. It's a brilliant independent bookstore. And I'll be reading from the book and signing. But to your question about the movie, what's amazing is, you know, my agents, my Hollywood agent and my literary agent in New York all told me Hollywood is going to be coming after this story because it's it's such a different story. No one's ever heard of combat controllers. Green Berets, SEALs, we've been talking about them for decades. Deadliest guys, never heard of. And so these two gentlemen called me and said, hey, what got to my agent, we want this. I hadn't even written, started writing word one yet. And they bought the rights. It's a Hollywood doesn't ever happen that way in Hollywood, uh, and it was, uh, and they're the right people to make this movie. So I'm very honored to be in, integrated with them and be a part of the movie process in addition to the book. And that's what we're doing next. But right now I'm on national book tour for the from now through September, and then I'm going to Dublin for a pint of Guinness at the factory because <laughs> I'll be ready for one man. Can I ask how it went down? You and I spoke months ago when we first did our first podcast on the book Alone at Dawn, and you'd hinted that this was possible did you just get a phone call from like i don't know jerry bruckheimer or you, you know some big named hollywood guy do when hollywood wants to do a movie on your book do they just call you up and you're in your backyard you know watering so, the lawn it's funny you and, say that because um so they would never reach out to you without going to your agent first so they have to clear it with your agent so my agent set this up and said hey these guys want to talk to you and they are very very motivated and and she says i think they're worth considering but you don't have to rush them because you're going to have everyone in Hollywood after you. So I'm literally climbing up a mountain because I live at you know, basically 9,000 feet and I usually do an 11,000 foot peak on a daily basis. It's kind of my exercise. And, and I'm outdoors. I'm hanging out at like maybe 10,000 feet. And these guys call me and they're like, hey, it's Ron West from Through Light Entertainment and Michael Gunn, this brilliant screenwriter. And we want to talk to you. I'm like, yeah, I can sit down under a pine tree here and stay away from that moose. Well, let's have a talk. And we talked for an hour and a half. And it was... But it was for a guy who spent his years <laughs> doing special ops. It was like a Hollywood moment. I'm like, okay, this is kind of cool. These guys are talking to me. But it still goes back to my mission, man. I'm on a mission. And are you the right individuals to help tell John's story? John's story, while a, a war story and the story of combat control both, his story, that's not what it really is. It's a love story. John's story is a love story between John and his beautiful bride, Valerie, who's a dear friend of mine. And John's love for the brotherhood that is American fighters on a battlefield. He sacrificed himself on the altar of that brotherhood. That is love. And, you know, people don't like to use the word love in war. But for me, man, it's very appropriate because there's no greater love than the commitment of sacrificing yourself or the willingness to do so. It's just, 
it's a testament to love, and it's the best attribute of of humanity. Anyway, that's you know I can go off on no philosophy right. forever, <laughs> but the but the bottom line is that's what they wanted to do with the movie, and I knew these were the guys, and so I talked to my agent. I'm like. She's like, well, you can, we're going to get a lot of other offers, you know, maybe more money. I'm like, I don't give a shit about money, man. I want the people who are going to make this story because I'm on a mission. And if you can help me go, if you can help me on my mission, you're my friend. If you're listening to this and you buy a copy of the book, you're my friend too. Because, <laughs> man, I want every American. This is not a war book. This is a book for Americans. Is it safe to say that we are on the precipice now with this film that this could be to the Air Force what Top Gun was to the Navy? Yes, only I think a better direct comparison is the crappy little B-movie from 1990 called U.S. Navy Seals. Everybody knows that movie. Charlie Sheen, Michael Bain, oh, they have yeah. a god gun, they do all these amazing things that people don't really do, and that's a movie. And everybody knows that movie. And that launched the American public's love affair and understanding of Navy Seals. This is that parallel. But Top Gun did too. You know, it put the Navy on its pantheon and went vis-a-vis yeah. fighter jets. Um, this is about, and they sold me too, by the way, because after watching that movie out of high school, I, I I soon later joined the Navy and yeah, I was on like, a carrier. Oh, all, I mean, all Navy fighter pilots look like Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer at the at the height of their day, whatever. <laughs> and you know, not true, by the way. Well, yes, that's right. They don't. But in fact, you know, John Chapman had Hollywood. He had movie star hair. It's remarkable. And but he'll never look better. It's going to be some brilliant star who will pour his heart into this thing because yeah. that's what they do. Um, I, Can I ask, are there people on a short list that... Uh, or... Actually, you know what? I can't... I am sworn to secrecy. Oh, I, so so it's a known thing already? Uh, it, or the, there's a the casting list? The screenplay is done and they are... We are going to go out and, and pick up somebody and, uh, and it'll be a quality actor. Listen, Hollywood is very smart. There's a lot of brilliant people in Hollywood. I've had a great experience in Hollywood. Wow. People kind of disparage them, but that's not my experience. And uh, so I, I'm excited for the movie, but I'm more excited about the book. I'm a writer. I used to be a special ops guy. Now I write books for a living. This is the most important book I'll ever write. Getting to that, before we wrap up, um, you are a special ops guy. You have been... 31 years. Tip of the sword. You've done some amazing things. Um... In the process of writing these things, I'm always amazed with you guys. Like, if I were to write my experiences on a carrier, it really wouldn't draw, bring back too many negative memories. Most of it was fun and f- good times on Liberty and the friends I miss today. Right. And, and sadly, some of them aren't with us anymore. But, uh, you know, that's the extent of the bittersweet I would experience. It, is it hard for you to recollect John Chapman's sacrifice when you think of your own career? Yeah, I've been in one of the probably one of the biggest gunfights in the last half century involving American troops. That's Black Hawk Down. It's a, people still talk about it today. I get asked about it all the time. Combat's a very personal experience. And so I can't speak for John or anybody else who's been in combat. I can only speak for myself. Now, I compare stories and, and notes with guys I've been in gunfights with. For me, uh, the, you know, to answer the intent of your question, for me, it, it doesn't, didn't draw it up that way, but I struggled. I didn't want to write this book. I told... Lori, my co-author, I'm not going to help you write this book. I'll plug in with my agent. We can talk about your proposal. Not interested. And then I realized over two weeks of sleepless nights, I had to be that guy. Now, the answer to your question is the week I spent writing John's death and the two years I spent writing, researching, and interviewing for this book was the most devastating personal writing experience I ever have had and will ever have, I am confident. because I literally 
would just go out and rage against the mountain where I live on a daily basis. My wife would just drive me out of the house. She's like, go, get out. Because his sacrifice twice, mm-hmm. that is a devastating thing to try and put yourself in. And and I wanted to walk right. I can't say what John thought, but I can say what he decided to do. Because I've got the CIA Predator drone footage. This is the viral video that's now got 3 million views that I posted on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, uh, I encourage anyone to go just Google first metal and it's gonna populate. And it is a very powerful witness to John's heroism. And it served as, for the first time in the Medal of Honor's history, the witness was this electronic eye. And it's the first Medal of Honor captured on video as it's happening, focused on this one man who did it. Mm, Amazing. Well, I thank you for pushing through because I know for all my warfighter friends, uh, recalling anybody's combat experience can be a little bit traumatic and a little bit, it's a little bit tough on your headspace. And, uh, you know, I'm just really glad you were able to put pen to paper to write the book Alone at Dawn. And we get to look forward to now having the follow-up to the CIA drone footage uh, in the form of your forthcoming film based on Alone at Dawn. 100%. Will it be the same title? Uh, we, it, it's that. got a different working title, but it's these things take on a creative life of their own. Right. And uh, I, don't, I don't know what the title will be, All right, well, honestly. Do we know or do you anticipate what year it will come out? I mean, obviously, it's 2019s, we're running out of space here. I mean, Yeah, but, but the fact that the movie rights were sold two years ago and the screenplay was done before the book hit the bookstores last week is so fast for Hollywood. It never happens this way. And so, it, you know, it's still probably 2022. But this is really lightning fast for a real event for Hollywood. And um, we've got the right studio behind this thing. They're going to make this thing happen. And, uh, you know, the Hideaway Entertainment, these people are, they make movies. And they wanted this movie. That was very, very clear to me. And it's going to happen fast, but it still takes years. Nice, nice. Well, I look forward to seeing it when it does come out. I know I'm going to call you personally and say, hey, you know what, Dan? I I know that guy. I'm going to tell everybody I know while I'm in line buying my tickets. You know, I I actually know Dan Schilling. I'd rather be known for the book, though. (laughs) Not 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 to compare the two, but I'm a writer, man, and I want to reach people because with a book, you can stop. Yes. And you can read and you can contemplate and you can reread. You know, you're in the theater and it is very powerful. The score and the right actors and all these, and the direction and the screenplay all converge. And so it can be overwhelming. But for a book, I want, if if people don't cry reading this book, I'll feel like we have failed. Mm. Because it's a tragic love story. I have the book. I can say that uh, a couple of my colleagues have already requested it for their summer vacation beach read. And, uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say it one more time. Alone at Dawn, the author, is former combat controller, Dan Schilling. It's a pleasure, man. I'm so glad that I got a chance to actually come meet you face to face. Hey, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. You got it, buddy. Cheers. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.